0: Welcome to this special edition of Wardere, which includes a bonus excerpt of my conversation with Bianca Tylik. Bianca, the founder of the Corrections Accountability Project, is also involved with the Sing Sing Gun Buyback, which is a project spearheaded by a group of men serving long sentences in Sing Sing prison to buy back guns from their community. It's a really cool project, um, and it raises some really interesting questions about rehabilitation and the Second Amendment, um, which Bianca and I try to tackle here. So here's our conversation. When I was researching what you do, which seems to be many things, I came across the Sing Sing Gun Buyback, which you appear to be running in your, I don't know, in your free time. (laughs) Can you talk a little bit about what that is? Um, Because I thought it was a really nice.
1: Yeah. um, So the Sing Sing Gun Buyback, we are doing that as as an organization. Um, It does keep us close to the population that we serve um, and we're looking to serve every day. Um, but essentially what, how it all started was, um, from my end at least, not from their end, but uh, it started on their end many years ago. Uh, I actually went up for a visit to Sing Sing Correctional Facility um, in Ascining, uh New York, which is the closest uh, New York State prison to New York City. And how far away is that? It's about an hour, right? Um, by car. S- by, no, Metro North actually goes there um interestingly enough i think it's one of the only prisons in the country if not the only prison in the country that has a public rail system that runs right through it Mm -hmm. um but in any case so i went up there to meet with um a few guys um and talk i had actually been doing essentially it was a tour for a group of folks that i had been working with and so uh because they do criminal justice work. I thought it was important for them to actually go visit a facility. Um, and so we had organized, I had worked with the superintendent to organize um, some time for them. So I hear that they had a number of years ago, um, about 2011, 2012, um, had decided to fundraise among the guys inside for a gun buyback. And so I was very intrigued by this because <laughs> fundraising from people who earn, you know, a few cents. On average, as New York State reports, a dollar a day. Yeah. And even the concept that you're fundraising for a society that has condemned you. And in in, in many of their cases, they would never be back, right? So a lot of folks who had life sentences and stuff like that. Um, and so as I'm listening to the story, I find out that they... Um, that their match on the other side, they had a community match from uh, a few organizations or churches out in Brooklyn, um, fell through. And as a result, this almost $8,000 that they had raised on the inside was just sitting in an account. So I made a promise to the superintendent and to the guys that I would raise the rest of the
0: money. What is the remaining amount that you need?
1: Um, So we raised, um, we wanted to essentially provide the match that the community um, organizations fell through on. So we wanted to raise $8,000, a little bit more. uh, We ended up raising, or at this point, we have raised $9,000.
0: Yay. Yeah. Um, And so a gun buyback is literally paying people to hand in their guns. Correct. And the thought behind that is to try to make safer the streets that these folks at Sing Sing will not see or have not seen for quite some time. Right, Um,
1: yes, most of them in this group
0: um, have been incarcerated
1: anywhere from like 15, 18 years to 27, like 30 years. I mean, some pretty long times that they have not been in the free world. Uh, You know, gun buyback takes guns off the street, as as you said. Um, The theory is, is that if you can offer payment in the same way that they would be able to pay like sell a gun mm-hmm. on the street, you can um convince mm-hmm. folks to turn them in rather than to create, you know, additional violence in their communities.
0: Yeah. It's just striking to me given that in many ways the guys who organize this project are people on whom society has turned their back, right? And um obviously you can't speak for them, but do you get a sense of what's motivating them to still care about the outside world and, like, try to make the world a more peaceful place?
1: That's a tough question. Like you said, I can't speak for them, but, I mean, having engaged with them on many, many occasions, um, I think many of them, like, find a real sense of purpose in this. Like, they, most of them, almost everyone in that group was incarcerated Prior to the age of
0: 21
1: mm-hmm. um I mean one uh, gentleman who I work with all the time he was incarcerated at 17 right and he's served 26 and a half years since then um and so they're just they grew up yeah and they want to do things like every other human wants to do things right and like provide some value to society, to have a purpose, to do good, right? Um, to right their wrongs in many ways, right? To find personal redemption. Um, I think, you know, they say, they have like a saying <laughs> that they use, which is that, um, you know, no, no harms are cured, like what, just sitting in prison, right? Like yeah. we, want, we have to actually heal the community we harmed. Um And so they're working on that healing, right? I think that's part of it. I think the other thing is, like, a lot of them are fathers, right? A lot of them are watching their children. Their children live in these same communities. They want, um, you know, they want to see the communities improved for the sake of their families that they did leave back home, right? So they're seeing that. They see other people from their communities, like, running through the system, right, in and out, and so I think they just have a very genuine and heartfelt desire to to do something, um, and they you know they're very interested in bringing the right people to the table. So a lot of times, and I think this is what's going to make this particular gun buyback unique versus like everything else, like all the other gun buybacks that may be happening in the country, uh, which is that you have the people involved who, you know, were involved in that type of life sort of actually running it, right? Um, And why that's important is because it brings the right people to the table. What we've seen historically with gun buybacks is, you know, oftentimes it's like the people who are turning in the guns are like the moms, the girlfriends, the wives, like, of people who have maybe guns that have been, like, sitting under a bed for, like, two years, or maybe it's inoperable, or maybe, Right? It's not like... The gun that might be used next week, right? Um, right in some cases, and so what is like interesting is that with these guys on board and their ability to really convince people who are in the community who may be involved in you know in these type of um, these type of things to actually show up and say like trust this process like you know you're better than this like look look where I am right like there's a totally different um outreach with them on board that we hope will really um make a big impact in terms of uh what these guns are that that do end up being turned in and then on top of it I think because they're from those communities we're thinking about ways that it's not just so one person brought up a very uh, interesting and I think a poignant point as we were talking about this, which was um, with all the recent police events, right, um, around uh, you know, murders of unarmed black men and, you know, sort of that have obviously been going on for decades, hundreds of years and all that but that have been particularly bringing to light over the last few years um, due to video and, and all that stuff Um, and that have now been, you know, in the media and been discussed in a lot of spaces at this point, Um, there's this concept of, like, are we just disarming black men in these communities, right? And criminalizing them by even saying, like, you need to turn in your guns and not really creating any sense of community healing therapy and all this, right? And so there's been some very, very important discussions that have been happening in the room around this gun buyback about what that means, right? And what are we doing from an ideological standpoint in, um, within the context of today's world, right? And so we know, right, as we discussed, that the only, like, that in America when we say, like, gun rights, like, gun rights exist for white people and, like, white men, right? But we have managed to disarm communities of color through the criminal system right right with laws that are not related to guns at all right when you have a felony drug conviction in the federal system for marijuana you can't ever own a gun
0: yeah
1: (laughs) right and and somehow those two things are, are connected I don't see it right but we have essentially disarmed an entire um and so you know I don't believe in guns period but like to the extent that we're going to be a nation that believes in that as an actual right that people have then disarming an entire population specifically black men through criminalization right um is problematic and so now the question became through this gun buyback how do we do more than just that right how do we send how do we avoid sending the message that you know black men can't own guns, that these communities shouldn't, you know, be allowed to protect themselves. How do we improve the relationship between, you know, law enforcement and um, and uh, and the community? And so we're actually having an event prior to the gun buyback um, to start establishing that trust. And so we're, we are, and, and basically forcing both sides to come to the table, or not forcing, but asking both sides to come to the table. Um, and kind of offer their piece, right and be like okay well I will trust you because you know here's what I'm giving up here's what you're giving up here's where we need to start understanding each other um, and all of that um, and so and not to create a false equivalency either because yeah these communities have been destroyed by law enforcement in many fashions um, But uh, but I think you know it's important for people to know that we're thinking about this in a in a very, I think, important way.
0: Yeah, and incredibly um, nuanced and textured. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I'd never really thought about that, that so much of the Second Amendment Amendment conversation uh, or justification is that guns are an important way to safeguard, like, liberty against tyranny were we to ever find ourselves in a tyrannical state again. Right. And well, then when a you think about malicious. yeah, exactly yeah well, you so, can
1: only be a militia person if you're a white, white.
0: <laughs> but you know uh, the probably the community that has been most tyrannized by our government for as you said hundreds of years has been communities of color, which is not right. necessarily to say that that guns are the answer to any of that agree, but Agreed. there is a um a lack of equivalency or like there's a hypocrisy exactly. there, so.
1: right, and I mean, I think that was like even most probably poignant with the death of Felando Casillo, right? Because mm-hmm. he um, was obviously went my gun down. Um, but he actually says to the officer during that encounter, like, I, I have, have a gun yeah. and of which I have legal ownership and mm-hmm. right and like Where's yeah, where was the NRA
0: talking about that They're yeah. right, right? All right, that's it for this bonus episode. But stay tuned for the next full episode of War Deer conversations from the criminal justice policy program at Harvard Law School.